0: Hello, and welcome to BWB Extra, our follow-up feature to each of our guests' main episode, and it's where we hand over the reins to our guests and let them lead the conversation with their biggest bugbear, most burning business question, or even just a topic of their choice to discuss with us. The choice is theirs. And this week... We continue our conversation with former gamer and founder of Catalyst Esports Solutions, Drew Holt Kentwell, who is also a qualified mental health counsellor in Singapore and runs a youth charity which focuses on gaming and device addiction and general wellness issues that kids face in Singapore. Drew unpacks the reality of addiction and mental health issues in gaming, where he talks about the difference between esports and gaming what it's like to be a professional esports player in the industry and a range of effects too much gaming can have on a person's health as well as talk about the counseling work he does to help tackle addiction do professional gamers suffer from mental health problems who should police gaming is it all bad or are there any benefits it's all up for discussion welcome to gaming and addiction i'm surprised how, how old the target group almost is i I would have thought you're in a space where you've got this sort of giant responsibility of sort of, you know, like the whole Twitter problem that you've got to be so sort of careful in marketing to these young people. I mean, how many people are under 18? Do you market to that segment? Is There's games that
1: must be popular in that world. Yeah, there are. And I think for us as a business and the companies we work with, consumer electronics brands typically don't market to such young people because they don't have the expendable income to buy that kind of stuff. So But in general, the developers do market to those audiences quite aggressively. And it's actually become a serious problem because there is a gambling element, a really kind of dark and gray gambling sort of dynamic to esports where you can bet on matches, you can open loot boxes, which have sort of a randomization element to them. So people who are involved in these games who are under 18 are effectively exposed to gambling at a very young age with no oversight at all and no, you know, consumer or, um, you know, no no trade companies or uh, associations to govern that. It's just basically companies trying to make a, as much money as they can.
0: So the fear is they get addicted to gambling at a young age, is it? That's the, the concern.
1: I think there are definitely aspects of it. That's definitely something that has been talked about. So, for example, the reason why shooting games are not in the Olympics yet or in other sporting things uh, and also the developers track record in the transparency that they have in those systems, loot boxes, gambling, et cetera, will affect their ability to, you know, perform on the world stage. But yeah, these have been concerns that I think have been expressed before. And certainly for me, you know, being very interested in in the mental health side of things is... How much gaming is too much? You know, how much can we use gaming as um, a useful distraction, and, and when does it become problematic as well?
2: Do you have the answers on that, too?
1: I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think that there is too much uh, that you can you can play games. I think that, like anything, like any addiction, in moderation is, is key. But I think what I've discovered really in the last sort of five years of my life and understanding gaming. And the people who play it more intimately is that gaming is an addiction that is in some ways as strong as substance addiction, because the chemicals and the hormones your brain is creating by playing certain games, that payoff you get, that euphoric payoff you get from playing games with other people, from completing tasks, but also being able to escape your real life problems. And no one's monitoring you. You're in your room, you know, until the small hours of the morning, playing games parents might not think that is a red flag necessarily and then the people you're meeting online the stuff you're exposed to the cyberbullying there are definitely side effects to that so i think it's about playing and being realistic with how much you play but also understanding that gaming is separate to esports so gaming is the act of just playing for fun potentially on your own as a way of kind of winding down and it can be potentially addictive and games are made to be addictive by their developers as well Esports is the professional sports side of gaming, where there's an ecosystem around joining a team, playing in tournaments, earning money, becoming a professional in that space. So the two are quite different.
0: It's a, That's a very curious dynamic because... If I was training for the Olympics and I started running all of the time, and then someone's like, You're running a lot, man. You, you you're not seeing your family, you're not, you know, you're just all you do now is run. It'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna be in the Olympics. And they'd be like, Oh, fair enough. You're you're running, you know, right? You you gotta train hard. I've seen it. I watch Rocky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. But if I played, you know, if I wanna be in an esports team and I'm like, yeah, but I'm just gonna play all the time and all the time, it's like I don't know where the control mechanism is. It's like, if you're, if you're really good at it, maybe, like if I'm already fast yes. at 100 meters, then
1: why didn't you train exactly. more? Whereas
0: if I'm a bit shit, but I'm playing it all the time because...
1: Yeah, I think if your friends noticed that you were like a really terrible runner and you weren't beating anyone, you didn't have any accolades, people would start to question your sanity about whether you were really going to join the Olympics, right? Whereas in, in esports, and that happens all the time, it's a small fraction of people that are actually good enough to become professional players. So the rest of people are just spending their time playing it for fun. They're just playing for fun. They're meeting people online. And I think younger people, at least uh, you know, in, in my counseling work, a lot of the people I work with uh, are very lonely individuals. They're very young, lonely individuals who want to make friends, and they, they try to make those friends online. And I think there is a, there's a guise that you can make really good friends online all the time. You can make good friends. I've made good friends playing games online, but it's not a replacement for in-person interaction. Uh, you need to still have that social element in 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 your human development. So it is inevitability that you can become too comfortable with that scenario where you feel like all your social interactions are exclusively online. And like you said, there's an element of freedom in speaking to someone online and having absolutely no repercussions. And that goes both ways. That that can be when you're opening up to someone or making a really close friend or a relationship. But it can also be that it brings out the worst in people. Uh, some of the stuff that you see online, it, you don't have to look far. You know, internet trolls and gaming, it's obscene, some of the stuff that you hear people say. And if you could ask that person, would they say that to the person in, in real life? Absolutely not. I think there's no chance they would. But without any supervision, people will just say, what their brain is thinking without any consequences. Bit like driving
0: a car. I always thought once you've got a ton of metal surrounding you and you can do 100 miles an hour, it's amazing the shit that comes out of your mouth, you know? <laughs> you see someone else and you're like, you motherfucking. And then I, I love winding my, and I have a little dog in my car too, winding the window down. And then the dog comes up into the window and this builder suddenly goes, oh, you're all right, mate. No, sorry, mate. No, you know, I didn't mean it, mate. Do professionals have mental health problems? I mean, this charity you're involved in, are you helping professionals as well as
1: amateurs? Um, no, we don't at the moment. We, we cater largely to younger people who use gaming as an escape from issues to do with family, exam stress, relationships. So some of the sort of, uh, you know, stuff that a lot of young people go through, but they, they kind of ignore it. They don't deal with it head on necessarily, so it can, can result in issues. But professionals do, yeah, absolutely. I think if you can imagine you know that 16-year-old getting plucked uh, out of his home in, in Pakistan, and suddenly he's put on a stage where he could win $40 million, but at the same time, there's a group of people who despise him. They might be racist openly to him during his games on the broadcast channel. Wow. And he'd see that. He'd see every single thing. He's not old enough yet to know... Oh, you need to tell social media if I'm a celebrity. Right? You hear that all the time. I don't read social media. I don't read the papers. I don't need to hear that. He doesn't know any better. So he might consume all of that negativity channeled towards him and forget about everything positive that he's achieved. And there's nothing protecting those people from that. So teams do have sports psychologists, the very, very best ones. You need to train smart. You need to be, you know, smart about your exercise. You need to be fit. You can't eat burgers and play in a dark basement.
0: I was going to ask, they exercise a lot. You need to be fit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, your brain needs to work at an incredible rate. So you need to eat properly. You need to be healthy. You need to not play the game like 24-7. I remember going to Korea where kind of the the birth of professional esports was. And uh, we met with a number of different professionals there. And the Koreans' mentality was that I wake up at 8 a.m. in the morning and I go to bed at 3 a.m. the next day. And all I do is I log on and I play the game solid. I don't do any training or strategizing. I just play the game to know it really well. And then some of those Koreans got picked up by Western teams and they said, you know that you're not learning anything right by doing that. like You know the game really well, which is obviously very useful. But when it comes to playing in a team and against other people, that's not useful. You need teamwork training, you need communication training, you need to know about what to do under pressure, all this kind of stuff. And they were like, Oh yeah, maybe I should get more sleep as well. Right, that's that's kind of helpful. That sounds
0: very South Korean. You know the concept, bally bali, quick quick, and it's just and they <laughs> yeah. and the lost generation and they come from a world where they rebuilt yeah. their country from the size of whatever it was, the smallest African country to the third biggest economy or whatever, and they just work yeah. like crazy. So I think yeah, that's really. the sort of yeah. their attitude is just do it like you know without sort of um yeah we're too lazy almost we'd be like oh i've been doing this for three hours Can have a cup of tea already you know (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and now a quick word from our sponsor
3: at alry clark we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there we know that people love our easy to read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts. Dominic Frisby sat down with Juliette Aury to talk about immigration. So
2: Don, one of the most important things that companies need to bear in mind if they're hiring here in the UK is that they have an obligation to check that an individual has a right to work in the UK. You must not take people's word for it. You must in fact check their documentation. So that means checking their passport. If they're not a British national, then checking what visa that they have. So that normally their BRP card, which is often where the visa is.
1: Okay, so this is another responsibility that an employer now has. Yes. And how long has employers had that responsibility?
2: Oh, for a long, long time. But what has happened in recent years is we've bought in much more of the enforcement. So if you are found, and we have had a number of clients go through this process, if you are found with an illegal worker and you haven't undertaken appropriate right-to-work checks, it's a £20,000 fixed penalty fine per illegal found.
3: You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Auri Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat.
2: You said earlier in, in relation to gaming, I think it, it often obviously gets a bad press, at least the youths and you know, what they're up to. But I know all my nieces and nephews, it kept them alive and surviving through lockdown and all of that, that to play with each other and to interact. I think there is a place for it, no?
1: Yeah, I mean, the benefits of gaming, you know, is something that I promoted for for many years, right? During my my time, obviously playing games, but also working for companies who uh, were very much gaming-centric companies. And I think there are major benefits to the way in which you uh, communicate with other people, the way in which you use your quick reactions. And, um, you know, just, I think that the inherent skills needed to be good at games like that uh, require you to be a pretty intelligent person. I think there are a lot of skills you can learn from that. Social skills. uh, Again, you know, I'm not too sure. I think there's some pros and cons there, but in terms of people that, you know, games can be a great way to connect. Yeah, absolutely. I think, There are a lot of, you know, fun party games. There are fun, uh, like using a console, for example. Just having that casual connection with people through gaming is incredibly useful and and can can bring great bonds to people.
2: But do you have views on who should police it? Like if it is moderation, if it's children playing it, who's responsible? Like who should police that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is one of the difficulties with gaming in that the access to them is very difficult to govern. I think some developers have found ways to limit people's time on games. But of course, they're very much invested in people playing as much as possible. So they might do reminders or automatic you know, updates that you've been playing for a certain time. The individual is not necessarily going to regulate themselves enough. But I think some of the work that that I try to do and, and, and work on with youth is that it's not the only solution, is that there are other methods to either potentially dealing with your problems or finding other things outside or, you know, things that might appeal to your goals in life that might be better alternatives because gaming is the easy one, it's accessible, it's free. Um, but then obviously parents need to be part of the conversation because, for example, when I was growing up playing games, my parents had no idea what I was doing. I was literally in my room. I was going to say, games. did they
2: did they police you? Were they, were they in there going, what's going on on here? Or they just let no? You carry I don't on. think my
1: parents did. I think I think I, I would try and explain it to them and say every time I'm playing, I'm, I'm in a team though. You know, I'm I'm playing for money. I'm I'm going to a tournament. And it every time it's kind of like, okay, well done, Drew. What did you want for dinner again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. But they don't know the the potential pitfalls of the the fact that if you do that exclusively, you know, for 10 years and you don't get the proper education and the job, then yeah, you're potentially in, in very serious, serious shit. So there needs to be an awareness on the, on the side of parents because I've had parents coming to me um, who've asked, my son really wants to be a professional gamer. Can you just speak to him? Can you see if he's good enough? Can you see if he can make it? And I think parents need to know whether it's possible because there's all this, you know, this PR and this this excitement about becoming popular on YouTube and, and suddenly becoming a, an overnight millionaire, which sadly is very easy to do with NFTs and, and you know, all kinds of other stuff. Wow. Um, and, and I think people make it sound that it's easy in, in, in esports, but parents need to be educated in some shape or form as well, I think. But it's a long, long road. It's, um, you know, I always think like, we always go
0: around the problem wrong when they're like, oh, he's a drug addict. It's like, well, he's oh, like, he's got some fucking shit, some mental health issues. You know, the drugs are just a symptom and the gaming would be the same. You know, you're not happy in school. You're going yeah. through a tough time. And your parents are going through a divorce. You know, the gaming is the symptom, yeah. isn't it? You don't totally agree. I mean, it's, it's probably not entirely true because you can get addicted and all of that. But within reason, if you've got, a nice family and a nice life you're unlikely to just do it all the time that's all you're going to do it's escapism as you say so if, 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 yeah. and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm an avid new scientist reader that they've never actually proved anything other than games are actually slightly better for people they, you know they tend to help them with their hand-to-eye coordination and and didn't China like try and like stop everyone playing them till they were 18 and then what happened is when people at 18 they would just go nuts like alcohol kind of <laughs> thing or something didn't that happen
1: yeah, yeah well China are very um, they are very guarded over who plays and how much they play so in every internet cafe in China, the data is fed back to the Chinese government. So they know how many young people are playing games for how long. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite scary. Uh, for a Brit,
0: um, I know you know that that is just like, fuck you, the government are going to know how much I watch porn a day. It's obscene. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's obscene, yeah, absolutely. And I but China is, is, has taken the the lead on that and they, they have tried to police it. But I think there are other business reasons behind that. So Tencent... Who are one of the biggest gaming businesses in the world are in a constant battle with with China. So I think there are there are probably some other political reasons for that. But I think you know to your point, it's possible to become incredibly addicted to games even if you have a good life. But I think it's easier to sort yourself out and and kind of find other things in life that might you know aspire to you or or, or might inspire you rather. But it's quite scary that people have this addiction sitting there. Uh, and as you said it's a societal thing where people already have issues um mentally they might have you know issues to do with exam stress or families but gaming is the easy free cheap one that is unmonitored that could potentially be used for unlimited amounts of time so for me i think i've always talked to people and and the advice that i give young people is that playing games is one aspect of it but being involved in the esports industry is a much more feasible endeavor so I mean, universities and polytechnics over here already teach uh, certain university courses about esports and they have lecturers in esports and, and the industry itself. So you could, you could think about almost any profession and it could be, uh, you know, in traditional sports and it could be applied to, to esports. So, you know, I work in the marketing side. I hire people who do graphic design, who do strategy, just as they might do for any other marketing campaign that they do. And then there are people who run the tournaments, for example. They might do the lighting, the filming, the editing, the sound on site, the people that run the teams, that find the talent. It is really endless. And I think that is a very important aspect to it, that you can be involved in games and interested in games, but you can still enjoy games and play them. But, you know, try to have that, that long-term perspective of how you're going to, to make it into a profession. I think that's ultimately what, what saved me, from becoming destitute and useless. That's a great point. You meet you meet young
0: kids who want to do, oh, my, I had that, there's daughter of someone and she's on Twitch and stuff saying, oh, all she cares about is video games. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it sounds like I've said they do the right thing. And I was like, Well, it's a massive industry because I do the tax credits and stuff. And I was like, there's loads of jobs in that industry. Yeah. Go and do it, you know?
1: Absolutely. Like, don't get lost on it. Yeah. Twitch is a particularly difficult one. I think that, People, young people have seen how easy it is to become famous overnight, but the amount of time and energy it takes to become a professional content creator is very difficult. There is a, 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 an amount of natural talent that you need to do that because you, you need to be charismatic to an extent. You need to be interesting to listen to, but you're right is that there are so many opportunities outside of it um, that, that people could potentially look at. So raising awareness for that is really important.
0: So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Drew Holt-Kentwell for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple and follow us on Spotify and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without BS. Until next time, ciao.
3: Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K or via our website. Auriclark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.